0: but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you.
1: Hello everyone. This is Chris with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is George Abedisoff with Hyper.com. Are you George? How's it going? Good, man. Hey, thanks for coming on the show today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, busy Tuesday.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, George, tell us about Hyper and what it does. Uh, sure. So, um, are you familiar with the concept of decentralized authentication? I'm getting there. Tell us more about
2: that. Okay. So, the problem that we're solving has to do with how major enterprises are storing user credentials, um, such as biometrics. Pins, passwords, and credit card numbers. And for the past, you know, several decades, what companies have been doing is they've been centralizing the storage of user credentials. Uh, so they've been uh, storing everything in a single repository. Um, and any anytime that repository gets breached, uh, we get headlines like the Equifax hack, or Home Depot, or LinkedIn, or any of these other major breaches. Um, and unfortunately, when these Uh, centralized repositories are breached, they impact millions of people because millions of people's credentials are stored in essentially what is a single point of failure. So what we're seeing now is a push from enterprises towards decentralized authentication. So that is the methodology in which user credentials are moved to user devices and stored securely on user devices. So rather than having everyone's Um, biometrics pins and passwords stored in one place Uh, their data is stored on their personal mobile phones and securely isolated and encrypted so now hackers have to attack each user one by one rather than attacking the enterprise directly and that's a really big step forward in security and it's only possible today because of the biometric mobile devices that people are carrying around so this is a really exciting paradigm shift In authentication, and there's a lot of great companies already deploying it across millions of users. Um, uh, Hyper has made decentralized authentication possible for uh, major banks and enterprises like MasterCard. Uh, That's a great use case where uh, mobile payments are secured uh, with decentralized authentication powered by Hyper. Uh, So, chances are you may be hyper secured through one of your mobile banking applications and you just don't know it. So, we work with some of the large enterprises and financial institutions,
1: and we deploy Hyper to their users through their applications. What are some of the examples? Now, I, I know in the you know in, for iOS devices, for example, they've changed from um, you know the fingerprint sensor over to facial rest recognition. Can you tell us about specific areas where and what specific biometrics are being used on these mobile devices?
2: So yeah, I'll answer that in a couple of uh, parts. So first of all. All these enterprises, as they transition towards biometrics from passwords, they're noticing that they need to also uh, change the way they're storing credentials. So you'll you'll talk to a bank and they'll say, hey, well, are you deploying Touch ID or have you adopted Face ID from Apple? And they'll say, yes, we have, but we're still sitting on all these credentials. We're still sitting on passwords and millions of users' passwords in one place. So simply uh, adopting biometrics is not... Is only half the batter. Uh The next thing that they need to do or and that they are doing is changing the way those passwords, pins, and biometrics are stored. So moving them and storing them on user devices. That's essentially the act of decentralization. And what biometric they're using is irrelevant. So you'll talk to enterprises who say our users prefer Touch ID. Or uh, in some uh, user experience studies that we've run, um, for example, in Europe, they really like Eye recognition for some reason. So uh, you you really want the enterprise to be able to choose, or at least give their users the flexibility to use any biometric. Uh, we've done a couple of studies, and we found that uh, well over 60% of day-to-day users prefer touch ID or similar fingerprint sensors. Uh, just under 20% are using facial recognition day-to-day, and uh, the remaining uh, biometrics like eye, voice, and palm recognition are still scattered in the
1: under 10% range. So it's going to be some time before they get to critical mass. And in the biometric area, what do you think the, the next kind of thing is? I mean, the the touch ID definitely makes a lot of sense, but it also seems synonymous with the time that it was released. So what do you think is going to become the, the convenient biometric of the future?
2: So if we can draw um, inspiration from device manufacturers like Samsung, uh, Samsung's a, an investor in Hyper by the way, so just full disclosure um, but if we can draw some inspiration from their strategy, you will see that uh, enterprises like manufacturers device manufacturers are putting multimodal biometrics on devices so the samsung s nine for example, is capable of fingerprint and face recognition uh, and you're able to use your choice of biometric or you uh, you're able to have multiple biometrics for different experiences so I think One trend that we're seeing is um, device manufacturers are gonna have multiple types of biometrics baked into devices. Uh, As for individual modalities or types of biometrics, we're seeing a big emphasis on um, behavioral this year. Uh, Behavioral biometrics like measuring how you walk or how you hold your phone or how you tap or swipe on the screen. Uh, These are some really cutting edge biometric modalities that. Haven't been deployed at scale yet, but are definitely picking up steam. So I think we'll
1: see a lot more of the behavioral um, biometrics as time goes on. It's interesting. I, I think of uh, you know movies like The Minority Report, where they're you know they're definitely using the the eyes and all the you know all the possibilities that happen with that. And, and I think with with gestures and specific movements, that's that's something that has not even been considered yet. So that's a that's a pretty crazy development. Yeah, you know, touch is
2: more of an active authenticator, so you really have to want to authenticate with Touch ID. You you know that you're authenticating, whereas face or eye recognition tends to be a passive authenticator. So, you know, you might not necessarily want to authenticate, but it, it scans your face, then you're in. So that type of user experience presents some challenges for security. Like, do you want this person to accidentally authenticate a $10,000 wire transfer? No. So uh, that's why it's good yeah. to have. Uh, that's why enterprises are trying to have multiple types of biometrics integrated into applications. So at least you know we can prevent uh, accidents or fraud or uh, compromised biometrics uh, from being a single point of failure.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned the the banking uh, side of things and how uh, Hyper is integrated in, into uh, Mastercard, and we don't even see that. What are some other use cases uh, that you're working on?
2: my primary vertical is the financial services sector so retail banking mobile payments insurance is a really big one and the reason for that is these companies have a dollar a quantifiable dollar metric for every fraud and every lost password and every forgotten password that their users deal with so it's very easy for them to quantify how much money they're losing to fraud and lost passwords and breaches and to basically translate that into an uh, authentication budget. So it's, it's kind of an easy ROI-driven story when, when you work with a company like that and you tell them, look, decentralized authentication can, can be saving you $7 million a year in password reasons. And that is um, you know, very appealing to, to the enterprise uh, to move away from those types of costs. So I think the FIs um, are the big Uh, early adopters. But what we're really starting to see is more IoT use cases. Uh, So over the past year or so, we've seen a lot of interest from major car manufacturers, so uh, uh, connected cars, connected locks, connected homes. Um, And what these companies are trying to do is what I call the biometric IoT or the biOT. They want to enable decentralized access to connected devices through biometrics. And uh, the, the, the push for that is not just security, but user experience. Uh, these companies don't think that you're going to unlock your car with a password or access your toaster with a pin or something like that. You know, they really want to enable biometric IoT experiences and decentralized authentication
1: is the path to doing that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think a, a couple of things that I, I heard um, probably within the last couple of years on on some other podcast about, um, hacking into um hacking into cars and starting them remotely with with other other means that you know we didn't really think about so this biometric approach uh and the decentralized um relation to it seems like a way to definitely prevent other people from starting your car and stealing your car
2: absolutely you know when somebody takes your car key, they can get into your car, but if that car key is secured with biometrics and put on your phone and secured on your mobile phone with decentralized authentication, now it's much more difficult for someone to just use your device to unlock your vehicle. I mean, they actually have to have your biometric. And, you know, now we're talking about a a much, much different breach. Uh, Now we're talking about minority report. And I don't want to get into that, uh, what happened in that movie.
1: Of course. Yeah. So you mentioned the the financial uh, sector and also Internet of Things as well. Um, Are there other use cases that you're looking at?
2: You know, uh, retail is starting to pick up steam. I think the retail sector has been kind of, has kind of stagnated. And you read articles about this almost daily, about how Amazon's killing the retail sector and they need to innovate and they need to do this and that. And one of the jarring statistics from retail is uh, that they still have over a 60% mobile checkout abandonment rate. So, the number of shopping carts abandoned on mobile devices is still well over sixty percent. I think it's somewhere in the thirties for desktop, which you know's been kind of the same for the past few years. But for mobile to be that high is alarming it's', a, it's supposed to be a better experience on mobile and one of the big reasons for that is you know when you're shopping online on a mobile device, you don't want to type in your password and you don't want to, you know have you tried typing in a twenty character password with your with your phone i mean it's, it gets kind of hectic or You'd rather just do it from a desktop, right? Yeah, definitely. So what we're seeing is retail uh, companies have been uh, definitely uh, growing in urgency. I I, I don't want to say we've got um, a a big pipeline of them, but it's definitely starting to appear. And their use case is trying to enable biometric checkout experiences. Whether you're on the desktop or you're on the mobile device, they want you to forget about credit cards, forget about passwords, and just use biometrics to
1: pay for things. Yeah. Definitely. So you mentioned uh, biometric access with um, all these different sectors, and and I'm looking at locks and homes as well. What are the first thing I think of is definitely security with that, and so that that seems like a, a no brainer. What are some things that we may not think of with using uh, hyper in the biometric access to things in your home?
2: So I like the uh, physical security um, space. The physical access is top of the list. Because when you talk about coming home to a connected lock, and you know, you think about it like my physical key is safe. My house is safe because I have a physical key that's in my pocket. And it's in my pocket, and not your pocket. And you can't take it out of my pocket unless you physically remove it. That's why my house is safe. But if you put my key on the internet, well, now it's up for grabs for anyone. So as connected homes look at Securing access to the connected home as the manufacturers look at that topic The question that they're trying to answer is how do we secure access to the home with a device like the mobile phone? That's technically connected to the internet and technically wide open for for hackers I mean you can attack a connected home and steal my digital key and theoretically copy it. That's really scary You can't do that with my physical key. So what decentralized authentication offers for the connected home space is the ability to decentralize the storage of digital keys. So rather than storing them on the cloud, um, you know, where they can be breached, and rather than storing them on the uh, mobile device's operating system, where it can be stolen or hacked, decentralized authentication gives us the ability to move keys to the very root level of the device, the the trust zone, it's called, on, on your mobile device. It's very complex, uh, it's not easy to uh, describe over the phone, but it's a methodology in which your phone is basically holding a decentralized version of your house key that is remotely inaccessible. You need my phone to access it. Uh, kind of similar to how the FBI needed that phone from the San Bernardino incident to, to physically unlock it. That That's kind of a similar uh, methodology uh, to help you understand.
1: Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. So you mentioned uh, the cloud side of things. Now that, that brings up a, an interesting question. It seems like um, probably within the last five years, there's been a big push to you know store your info on the cloud, on you know whoever's cloud it happens to be. How do you think the decentralization movement affects the future usage of cloud-based technology?
2: I have a uh, an answer I'd like to give for that is over the past decade or so, we've been centralizing data on the cloud and we've been uh, centralizing identity on the cloud uh, in many cases. And that's fine, but now we're seeing the impact of that. Um, and not just for the cloud. We're seeing the impact of centralizing users' credentials in uh, private data centers. I mean, you know, not everyone that gets breached using a cloud uh, infrastructure. Some major banks have been breached, and it's, it's their fault. It's their own uh, private data center that's getting attacked. The point that I'm trying to make is you can still centralize Um, applications on the cloud while decentralizing credentials on the device. So you you can do both of those things in parallel. One does not affect the other. Uh, What we're seeing is the need for moving decentralized credentials away from the cloud and away from the enterprise back to the user's devices. And that hopefully will create a much safer cloud ecosystem. So even if these cloud instances do get hacked, and even if we do see major breaches, at least the risk and the exposure is really minimal. And it, it's not Equifax level of, of, of uh, credentials being leaked.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a, a good way to, to explain that. So we can still have the technology with the, the cloud, maybe more for app-based stuff. But the, the credential side of things is um, literally in our hands or, or eyes or face or whatever they decide to use.
2: Yes, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the cloud is great for many things, but not all things. And I think
1: enterprises have really started to realize that. Yeah. So tell tell us a little bit more about where you are with your platform and what uh, companies you'll be working with here in the, the near term. So, we
2: recently announced a Series A
1: uh, fundraise
2: um, uh, led by RRE Ventures, with um, MasterCard and Samsung uh, also participating. And uh, this year, we've, we've got already uh, tens of millions of users hyper-secured, which is a really great milestone. Um, that is obviously the result of working with some very large Fortune 500 enterprises who uh, have applications with mil- millions of users on them. Um, and what we'd like to do is keep the ball rolling and focus on consumer authentication. Uh, so by the end of the year, we'd like to see over 100 million users hyper-secured. I think that we can reach that milestone and i think that as we continue to grow we're going to see a lot more uh, uh verticals many more diverse verticals um adopting this
1: technology right now
2: it's still very much in the financial services sector but you know as they
1: say if you can sell to a bank uh, you can sell to anyone <laughs> yeah um i talked to someone recently that mentioned the trust level in banks um it seems like they're they're definitely the uh the sounding board or the resonating point for everyone, you know, if you you can trust your bank, but you can't trust, you know, Equifax, or you can trust your bank, but but not this. So that's a that's definitely a, a great proving ground for that.
2: Yeah, banks can't really easily recover from a major breach. I mean, the trust level sinks, and it takes years to work back that PR nightmare. Um, so I think that I, I think that banks are not only making strides in early adoption, but they're really innovating on their c- customer experiences, and this is just one component of that. You know, this is part of a much bigger story. Uh, and I'm glad that we can work with uh, large banks to,
1: to tell that story. What are some other things you see in that big story developing, maybe in the next two to five years? Uh,
2: for, for like customer experiences or real world experiences,
1: um, let's start with customer experiences.
2: So a lot of banks are working on omni access experiences. So right now, you know, how you log in to your bank's website, how you log into your bank's mobile app and how you authenticate yourself at the branch are three completely different experiences. And they're also three completely different tech stacks. And that is a, that is a problem because you know, maintaining uh, you know, the, that credential store and maintaining the customer support for those users and just generally speaking, the headache of having to experience three different uh, identity uh, methodologies as a user is something that's been there for years. We've never really thought it was a problem, but we can finally address it and make it better. And Omni access means you can have you know, one bank mobile app that approves you to the website, approves you to the ATM, approves you to the branch. And if you look on our website, if you go to the biometric ATM section, you can actually see a, uh, we have a major partnership with Diebold Nixdorf uh, who uh, produced ATMs for, so it's probably the world's largest ATM manufacturer. And you can see there an experience of uh, how Hyper is empowering decentralized access to biometric ATMs. And that's that's exactly the experience I'm talking about now. Your bank will give you one app that gives you omni-access to uh, web, mobile, uh, branch, and ATM experiences. And you don't have to worry about passwords or usernames or any of that.
1: And So that also eventually takes out the the whole bank card as well. So you're just using, you know... Your device, or you're using a biometric rather than pulling out a card with a chip on it that can also be stolen,
2: oh yeah, absolutely. I mean cards are just another type of credential. I mean, did you hear about the orbits breach last week? I did not orbits uh got breached for eight hundred thousand uh user credit cards and, and that's just another example that you know it doesn't doesn't have to be passwords it doesn't have to be facial recognition it doesn't yeah. have to be pens even the credit card itself is a credential that can be reused, can be stolen. And what these banks and uh, payment companies, MasterCard, for example, is a great example. They're trying to get away from the credit card. They're trying to get away from the card entirely. And uh, if you've noticed, one, one really interesting thing is um, MasterCard especially has dropped the capital C from their logo. So if you look at the new logo, it's no longer a capital C. And it's, it's not something that you immediately notice, but that's a testament to their strategy of moving beyond credit cards. I mean, they're incredibly innovative. They're way out ahead of some of the other credit card networks. And, you know, that's just this one small example of how these companies are uh, strategizing a push away from credit cards.
1: That is very interesting. I'm looking forward to taking a look into that. So, George, what do you think is kind of on the horizon for uh, Hyper and the next, same, probably same question, next two to five years? I'd like to
2: see more. Uh, well, look,
1: we've, we're going to
2: execute on our strategy for, um, you know, the continuing growing hyper across the Fortune 500. But I'd like to see more diverse use cases, especially across the IoT. I would love to um, secure the connected car at scale. You know, so uh, getting uh, connected cars on the road uh, that are capable of decentralized authentication is very important to me um, and the team here. And the reason is, you know, this is not something that, should be connected to the internet, in our opinion. But you know, as long as it's going to be, we should make sure that it's done securely. Uh, so I think we're going to take a big focus on connected vehicles and physical access, and uh, that will hopefully prevent the IoT uh, nightmares that a lot of a lot of the people are. Uh, I call them alarmists. <laughs> you know, they they're not wrong. That the IoT
1: nightmares that they talk about are very real and very possible, and hopefully we can prevent some of them. Excellent. So George where can people find out more about you and where can they find out more about Hyper Well
2: uh, there's a lot of great resources on our website hyper.com that's hypr.com that uh, can uh, you know help educate people on the state of decentralized authentication and the the authentication space as a whole and I think that we are going to see um big growth in this space we're going to see a lot more um, uh, a lot many more startups getting into it and you know getting involved and I would recommend people uh you know get involved in uh you know pushing their companies to adopt biometrics to move away from centralized credentials and you know hopefully together we can prevent the next equifax from
1: happening. Excellent. Any final thoughts that you want our listeners to know before we wrap up today?
2: Um, if your bank is not decentralizing your passwords, at least make a really strong one because
1: you know, it is
2: very much in your power to make a long, complex password. It's inconvenient. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with it for some time. But um, Hyper is, uh, is coming for that password, and we'll be getting rid of it soon. So just hang in there.
1: Great. Hey, George, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, you have a great week, and um, you know, looking forward to the podcast. Yeah, definitely. George Avedisov with Hyper.com.
0: but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here.